Recorded live. Well, hello, it's Mike again, and it's still 11-22, allegedly 2016, the year, circa 2016. More likely, 1716. Um, anyways, uh, back to this uh, from Wise Sleuth. Uh, it's 15. Mind control techniques both churches and cults use. One, mandatory regular attendance. Two, big fancy majestic buildings. Three, hierarchical leadership. Four, charismatic leaders. Five, trans simulation or stimulation. Uh, six, repetitive drills. A consequences for nonconformity. Seven, separating the in crowd from the non-believers. Eight, the call to a, to action is to entrench yourself in the group and base your life on its doctrines. Uh, nine, the charismatic leader manipulates your emotions. Uh, ten, you're given an ultimatum. Eleven, you're encouraged to emulate yourself and mimic others. Twelve, you're asked for money and your worth is tied to the amount of money you give. And now we're at uh, 13, socializing with with the in-crowd. The most effective way of control in minds... The, the most effective way to control the minds of a group of followers will be to lock them in an isolated compound together with the charismatic leader could control every aspect. That sounds like public school, doesn't it? Um, every aspect of their lives, like the military does to its, its members. It and suburbia that's just not possible. So the trick is to keep your in-group together as much as possible and get them to uh, willfully ostracize themselves from the rest of society as much as possible. And of course, that's all around us. Isn't it? I am not saying that I, have, I I'm not saying that if you hang out with your bowling buddies when you're not bowling, then that means you're forming a cult, although they probably, the government would say it's otherwise. But uh, when the charismatic leader organizes constant events that keep his donors together, you can predict the outcome. Number 14, using indoctrination techniques in your um, own in your own time and placing your peers. The amount of Coca-Cola advertisement you've seen in your life attests to how quickly the effects of manipulation can fade and thus how important it is to constantly top up your message in your victim's short-term memory. One way television commercials do this is by getting a jingle stuck in your head if you walk around all day repeating the advertiser's custom design message in your head then you're doing the advertiser's job 
of reminding you of the message. Churches tell you to read the Bible constantly and to fill your house with biblical-themed merchandise if they can get you to eat, sleep, and breathe church doctrine, then you'll become your own snake oil salesman. Then you'll do the charismatic leader's job of manipulating you for him. 15. Recruitment. Cults need a constant stream of new victims in order to finance the charismatic leader's lifestyle. So, da, 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 if you run into an organization that is constantly having recruitment drives to get people to come and listen to the infomercial where they're asked to give money at the end, da, 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 don't go there. You know what's going to happen, and the only ends well. Only well ends well for the charismatic leader. And da da da. Assuming he doesn't get too drunk on power and do something crazy. Now you look at uh, a guy I like, you know, the, uh, McCord Road uh, Christian Church or Community Church, whatever it is. And uh, Andy, and he has the biggest house I've ever seen. Well, people are starving. Congratulations, Christianity. You have failed big time. Um, And that's coming from someone who believes in Christ. So, with that, we're going to start reading this Perusia. by uh, The Perusia, by James Stuart Russell. This was written and published in 1870. And around the same time, by the way, that Ethel Pike's letter to Mancini was sent. Coming from different points, places in, the, in, the, in this plane, but whatever. The last words of the Old Testament prophecy, the book of Malachi. The canon of the Old Testament scriptures closes in a very different manner from what might have been expected after the the splendid future revealed to the covenant nation in the visions of Isaiah. None of the prophets is the bearer of a heavier burden than the last. Malachi is the prophet of doom. It would seem that the nation, by its incorrigible obstinacy and disobedience, had fortified the divine favor and proved its Self not only unworthy, which has had forfeited the divine favor and proved itself not only unworthy, but incapable of the promised glories. The departure of the prophetic spirit was full of evil omen and seemed to in, in, in intimate that the Lord was about to forsake the land. Accordingly, the light of the Old Testament prophecy goes out 
amidst clouds and thick darkness. Interesting. The book of Malachi is one long and terrible impeachment of the nation. And we want to have the same system back in our lives. Do we really? As a whole? Maybe the Jews do, but the, the Zionists do, but the rest of us want this? Really? The Lord himself is the accuser and sustains every charge against the guilty people by the clearest proof. The long indictment includes sacrilege, hypocrisy, contempt of God, uh, uh, casual infidelity, uh, perjury, apostasy, blasphemy. While on the other hand, the people have the effrontery to repudiate the accusation and to plead, quote, not guilty, in the quote, of every charge, even though they've done it. Isn't that how we do things in this world? They appear to have reached that stage of moral insensibility when men call evil good and good evil. There's not more witnessing in our lives right now. In fact, we even got a new CEO of the Corporation of the United States in the District of Columbia, uh, one of the most wicked men, Christians and those Jews calling them good, an evil man calling good. And our fast ripening, ripening, and our fast ripening for judgment is back to the, this nation of Israel. Accordingly, coming judgment is quote burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Amalekai. In chapter three, five, quote, I will come near to you to judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, against those who oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and that turn aside to stranger uh, from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, end the quote. Chapter 4, 1, quote, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven or furnace, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be a stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, end of quote. That this is no vague and unmeaning threat is evident from the distinct and definite terms in which it is announced. Everything points to an approaching crisis in the history of the nation when God would inflict judgment upon his rebellious people. And I pray this time, God, could you please inflict judgment on your rebellious people, the people that are actually causing us all this misery. Please. In the name of Jesus, God, and uh, I hope I'm not one of them, but if I am one of them too, then 
for the the betterment of um, others. <laughs> so be it. God, stop this insanity. We got crazy people running this world. The same crazy people that uh, 1,700 years ago were running the world, and we know that known as the Roman Empire, are still running the empire. When does it end, God? Dear Heavenly Father, when does it end? Maybe it never does. Maybe this is what it is. Just a cesspool, just a small pool of um, evil. Even doing evil. I'll call it evil good and good evil. Uh huh. Of course, this has always been this way, folks. It's just uh, we're recognizing it in our generation. And it's possibility that we will suffer along with everyone else in previous generations in this wicked system that we live under. The day was coming, the day that shall burn as a furnace, the great and terrible day of the Lord, that, is, that this day refers to a certain period and a specific event does not admit or admit of question. It had already been foretold in precisely the same words by the prophet Joel in 2.31. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And we shall meet with a distinct reference to it in the address of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.20. But the period is further more precisely defined by the remarkable statement of Malachi in chapter 4, 5, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the explicit declaration of our Lord that they predicted Elijah was no other than his own forerunner, John the Baptist. And Matthew 6.14 enables us to determine the time and the event referred to as, quote, the great and terrible day of the Lord, end of quote. It must be sought at no great distance from the period of John the Baptist. That is to say, the allusion is to the judgments of the Jewish nation when their city and temple were destroyed and the entire fabric of the mosaic polity uh, was dissolved. It deserves to be noticed that both Isaiah and Malachi predicted the appearance of John the Baptist as the forerunner of our Lord, but in very different terms. Isaiah represents him as the herald of the coming of, sa- of Savior, coming Savior, excuse me, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah 
11? Is that what it is? Uh, Malachi represents John as the precursor of the coming judge. Quote, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Amalekai um, 4.1 That this is a coming of, to judgment is manifest from the words which immediately follow, describing the alarm and dismay caused by his appearing. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? Amalekai 3.2 It cannot be said that this language is appropriate to the first coming of Christ, but it is highly appropriate to his second coming. There is a distinct allusion to this passage in Revelations, uh, Revelation uh, 6.17, where, quote, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, etc., are represented as, quote, hiding from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, and saying, The great day of his wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? End of quote. And nothing can be more clear than that the, quote, day of his coming, end of quote, in Malachi 3, 1, is the same as, quote, the great and dreadful day of the Lord in chapter 4, 5, and that both answer to, quote, the great day of his wrath, and to quote in Revelation um, 6, 17. And if I said 4 earlier, 17, I meant to say 6, 17. But it's a Roman numeral. Roman numeral also, at times I mess it up. And back then, in 1870, and prior, they used uh, I for one. So I could do with that, so. And probably always have you know, for several thousand years of it. We conclude, therefore, that the prophet Malachi speaks not of the first event of our Lord, but of the second. And this is further proved by the significant fact that in chapter 3, 1, the Lord is represented as, quote, suddenly coming to his temple, end of quote. To understand this as referring to the presentation of the infant Savior in the temple by his parents, or to his preaching in the courts of the temple, or to his uh, explosion of the buyers and sellers from the sacred edifice, is surely a most inadequate explanation. Those were not occasions of terror and dismay, such as is implied in the second verse. But who may abide the day of his coming? 
That's in quotes, right? The expression is, however, vividly suggestive of his final and judicial visitation of his father's house when it was to be, quote, left desolate, end quote, according to his prediction. The temple was the center of the nation's life, the visible symbol of the covenant between God and his people. It was the spot where, quote, judgment must begin, end quote, which was to be overtaken by, quote, sudden destruction, end quote, taken then all these particulars into account, uh, dash, um, the, quote, sudden coming of the Lord to his temple, end quote, the dismay attended, quote, day of his coming, end quote, his coming as, quote, the refiner's fire, end quote, his coming, quote, near to them to judgment, end quote, the day coming that shall burn as a furnace, um, and, and um, that's a quote, another quote, burning up the wicked root and branch, quote, and a quote, the appearing of John the Baptist, the second Elijah, previous to the arrival of the quote, great and dreadful day of the Lord, end of quote. It is impossible to resist the conclusion that the prophet here foretells that great national catastrophe in which the temple, the city, the nation perish together, and that this is designated, quote, the day of his coming, end of quote. However strange, therefore, it may seem, it is undoubtedly the fact that the first coming of our Lord is not alluded to by Malachi. This is distinctly acknowledged by uh, Hegs, Hegs, uh, yeah, who observes, quote, Malachi passed by the first coming of Christ and humiliation altogether and leaves the interval between his forerunner and the judgment of Jerusalem a perfect blank, end of quote. This is to be accounted for by the fact that the main object of the prophecy is to predict national destruction and not national deliverance. At the same time, while judgment and wrath are the predominant elements of the prophecy, uh, features of a different character are not wholly absent. The day of wrath is also a day of redemption. There is a faithful remnant, even among the apostate nation. There are gold and silver to be refined and jewelry to be gathered, as well as dross to be rejected and stubble to be burned. There are sons to be spared, as well as enemies to be destroyed. The day which brought dismay and darkness to the wicked would see, quote, the sun of the rise of the righteousness arise with healing in his wings, end quote. On the faithful, even Malachi intimates that the door of mercy is not yet shut. If the nation would return to, unto God, he would return unto them. If they would make restitution of 
that which they had sacrilegiously withheld from the service of the temple, he would repay them with blessings more than they could receive. They might even yet be a, quote, delights, delights some land, in the quote, the envy of all nations. At the eleventh hour, if the mission of the second Elijah should succeed in winning the hearts of the people, the impending catastrophe might, after all, be averted. Chapter 3, verse 3, and 16 through 18, and 4, verses three, 2, 3, 5, and 6. Nevertheless, there is a foregone conclusion that ex Expostulation, expatulation, expo. What am I trying to say? Expost, expostulation, expostulation. I can't say it. Again, like expo, expostulation, expostulation, expo whatever I'm trying to say. It's E-X-P-O-S-T-U-L-A-I-O-N. Expostulation. And threatening will uh, be unveiling. Sorry about derailing the, the unrailing here. The unveiling. <laughs> derailing, the unrailing, the unveiling, right? <laughs> Didn't make any sense. Uh, anyways. The last words sound like the Neil of Doom, Malachi 4, 6. Lest I come and smite the land with a curse, in the quote. The full import of this ominous declaration is not at once apparent. To the Hebrew mind, it suggested the most terrible fate that could befall a city or a people. The curse was an anathema or a churim, C-H-E-R-E-M, churim, which denoted that the person or thing on which this maledictation was laid was given over to utter destruction. This is interesting. Even back then, they used to have language was so much more superior than today. And look at me, I heard, uh, back 2016, and I'm dumber than they were back in 1870. In so many ways. But I'm not unique in that. I've got lots of company. I've got billions of people, actually. Hello, everyone. Fellow dummies. Let's move on, huh? We have... An example of the cherum, the C H E R E M, or band, B A N, and the curse pronounced upon Jericho in Joshua uh, 5 17, and a more particular statement of the rune which it involved in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, 12 through 18. The city was to be smitten with the edge of the sword, every living thing in it to be put to death. This is just terrible. The spoil was 
not to be touched. All was accursed and unclean. It was to be wholly consumed with fire. Ouch. And the place given up to perpetual desolation. Uh, Hengstenberg remarks, quote, all the dreadful things that can possibly be thought of are included in this one word, end of quote. He quotes the comment of the Vitringa, Vitringa on this passage. Some kind of person, his name is V-I-T-R-I-N-G-A. There can be no doubt that God intended to say that he would give up to certain destruction both the obstinate transgressors of the law and also their city, and that they should suffer the extreme penalty of his justice as he has devoted to God without any hope of favor or forgiveness. As heads devoted, this was said. Which is the fearful malediction suspended over the land of Israel by the prophetic spirit in the moment of taking its departure and becoming silent of silent for ages. It is important to observe that all this has a distinct and specific reference to the land of Israel. The message of the prophet to, is to Israel, and the sins which are reprobated are the sins of Israel. The coming of the Lord is to his temple in Israel. The land threatened with the curse is the land of Israel, and all this manifestly points to a specific local national catastrophe of which the land of Israel was to be the scene and its guilt inhabitants, the guilty inhabitants, the victims. History records the fulfillment of the prophecy in exact correspondence of time, place, and circumstance in the room the ruined, it's R-U-I-N, which overwhelmed the Jewish nation at the period of the destruction of Jerusalem. The interval between Malachi and John the Baptist. Four centuries which intervened between the conclusion of the Old Testament and the commencement of the New are a blank in scripture history. We know, however, from the book of the Maccabees, and the writings of Josephus, that it was an eventual period of an, an eventful period of the Jewish annals. Judah was, by turns, the vassal of the great monarchies by which it was surrounded in Persia, Greece, Egypt, Syria, and Rome, which an interval of independence under the Maccabean princes. As I say, which I meant with an interval of independent independence under the Maccabean princes. But though the nation during this period passed through great suffering and produced some illustrious examples of patriotism and of self uh, and of piety, 
we look in vain for any divine oracle or any inspired messenger to declare the word of the Lord. Israel might truly say, quote, we see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long, end of quote. Psalms 104, 104, verse 9. I like using these Roman numerals because it's forcing me to uh, use them. Well, mem I guess memorize them, use them, learn them a little more. It's been a while since we read a book uh, with Roman numerals, to put it that way. So. Yet those four centuries were not without a powerful influence on the character of the nation. During this period, synagogues were established throughout the land, and the knowledge of the scriptures were widely extended. The great religious schools of the Pharisees and Sadducees arose, both professing to be expounders and defenders of the law of Moses, just as we have today, the expounders and defenders of the Word of God huh? and God. <laughs> and everyone says they are, but only one can be. That means everyone else is under a strong delusion or lying deliberately. Isn't that interesting when you think about it? Vast numbers of Jews settled in the great cities of Egypt and Asia Minor, Greece and Italy, carrying with them everywhere the worship of the synagogue and the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. Above all, the nation cherished in its inmost heart the hope of a coming deliverer, a, a uh, so I guess the scion of royal house of David, who would be the theocratic king, the liberator of Israel from Gentile dominion, whose reign was to be so happy and glorious that it might deserve to be called the kingdom of heaven, in the quote. But for the most part, the popular conception of the coming king was earthly and carnal. Wow, isn't that what we're hearing today again? With all those uh, Jewish, rabbinical, Talmudic influenced, quote unquote, Christians. And they all seem to have their own website, and they seem to flourish. Isn't that interesting? They seem to have the time to make these stinking videos and make money doing it. And if they're not making money doing it, then somebody is actually financing them. I know one thing. I'm not getting anything. And I just lost my place, as usual. Got myself a drink. <sighs> there is not... Okay, uh, the kingdom of heaven, right? But, and isn't this what we're witnessing? And it's the same old stupid story for thousands of years now. It causes us all such misery. Gentile, Jew, whatever. When is this all going to, I mean, maybe this, you know, it's, and 
I can see the reasoning behind the Freemason. They just, well, of course, everyone, they, they have multiple motives, people do. It all depends on how whacked out and twisted they are. It's amazing what uh, religion and uh, theology and uh, politics and all these ideologies out there, these different degrees of mind control and um, that thousand points of like, it's just kept, uh, there's no way for the average man to ever recover from much of any of this. So I can understand why many of them end up end up joining the lodge because it's just only hope they have and making some money to feed their family, and that's just not right. You know what? There should be um, uh, so, uh, something self-evident in the forward, don't you think? I mean, look at why do these people all end up in the sorcery and sorcery and witchcraft and. Uh, uh, blasphemy and everything else back then. Well, something must have been happening to cause them to do that. I don't know. I mean, you could say it's Satan and the evil, and the evil minions, and I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But the same token, uh, people need to have a better defense. Unless the story really is just a story of his story and that we're just all pawns in his story. Which is becoming the self-evident brutal reality. We're all just pawns in his story. And we call out to him for mercy with the realization that we're all pawns in his story. Whether we like him or not, whether we think he's the greatest thing as a Swiss cheese or not, that's not the, uh, the important thing is, just, you know, as any uh, leader would do is expect you to follow his lead. Regardless of what happens, and um, whether it's, you know, where it takes you, I don't know. I know it sounds weak, but it also sounds like it's, well, I'm also trying to be as realistic as I can. It's, 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 uh, it might sound like a failure to the gazillionth degree, I apologize, but I'm trying to do my best. It's just like everyone else. I just want to know the truth. I want some peace in my life, and I want to the meaning in my life, and would love to have eternity with a righteous and loving and caring God. For this life, it's just uh, it's, it's brutal, for honest about it. Uh, you know, the, especially the older you get, and the sooner you get, and well, you know, you don't have pretty women and their vaginas to distract you, or whatever, money to chase, you know. You know, it makes you really sit back and think, you know, what is this all about? There was still, however, a faithful remnant who had truer conceptions of the kingdom of heaven and who looked for redemption in Israel. And this quote, the time drew near and there were indications of the return of the prophetic spirit and the uh, promination uh, and the premonition, excuse me, that the uh, promised deliverer was at hand. And it is an interesting back then they had indications of true prophetic spirits and premonitions 
And I uh, just wonder today how many do people really have. Some people say they claim they have it. I know I don't have much of it. Uh, well, my premonitions, prem, premonitions have led me to great disappointment, so I am not to say. Sim, Sim, Simeon, or Simeon, received assurance that before his death he should see, quote, the Lord's anointed, and like intimation appears to have been made to the aged prophetess Anna. Such revelations, it is reasonable to suppose, must have awakened eager expectation in the hearts of many and prepared them for the cry which soon after was heard in the wilderness of Judah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A prophet had again arisen up in Israel, and the Lord had visited his people. Part 1. The Perusia of the Gospels. Perusia. Did I say Perusia? I meant to say Perusia. Perusia. Well, I made this Perusia. I don't know. Christ, I'm getting tired. The Perusia in the Gospels. The Perusia predicted by John the Baptist. There is nothing more distinctly affirmed in the New Testament than the identity of John the Baptist, which the wilderness herald of Israel, and Elijah of the Malachi, who excuse me, how well the description of John agrees with that of Elijah is evident at a glance. Each was austere and ascetic in his manner of life. Each was a zealous reformer of the religion. Each was a stern reprover of sin. The times in which they lived were singularly, singularly alike. Singularly alike. The nation at both periods was degenerate and corrupt. Well, that sounds like this place, but it always has been a place, and it's always been everywhere. Every century has uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions dead, enslaved, lied to. And it's been going on for 1,700 years at least. Since well, I'm talking the time of Christ now, right? And nothing, nothing good has happened uh, overall as far as man's behavior when it comes to these things outside of Christ and Christians and their belief in them. Uh, and you see that that goodness coming out through such things as mechanical engineering or the medical field and others. You know, yeah, there's a lot of abuse in those fields. But we also see the positive results in those fields, too. Extension of maybe life a little bit longer, even though for most of us, maybe it's not the best of things. Um, you know, I don't know. There's good and bad and everything. It all depends how you look at it. In most days, I can see uh, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad. It always seems like the bad always. That's 
That's just how it seems to me. Does that make me negative? Maybe I'm supposed to see a shrink about it. I wonder if the shrink would agree with me about that. So I'm not talking about a glass being half empty or half half full. I'm talking about the fact that um, it's beyond half that things are bad. We just don't recognize it. We don't snare it. Most of us don't see what what onslaught we're being and judgment we're being led into. And um, it's the same old crazy folks that we're reading about now doing the same thing to us again. There has to be a spirit involved in it. Because many of these crazy folks are quite charming when you meet them until they start talking their wickedness. But outside of that, you know, there's some pretty interesting uh, people out there. Uh, anyways, maybe I should just stop right here and start again. We'll just get into uh, this, uh, the Perusia in the Gospels. It's a good place to stop. Could be a lot of reading and a lot of this because this is they're going to focus on this. I'm going to pound this. If, if anybody else, for anybody else, I hopefully they get it. But I'm going to pound it in my head in self-defense when I'm listening to these people and these brothers in Christ. But I still believe brothers in Christ are telling me, "Oh, the second coming is happening." Uh-uh, it already happened, and they're using this to to, to abuse us and manipulate us. I'm not saying that the average. Uh, I'm not saying that the average brother of Christ deliberately means to abuse us and use us any more than the deliberate uh, that deliberately happens in the healthcare profession or school or even in the church. Most people don't deliberately mean to tell us that which is not true. We don't mean to, but our heads are so full of lies. It's just to take away a couple of them is a great challenge. I wonder if my mosquito fish are going to breed. I mean, they're they're some are getting big. I don't know if that the goldfish may get rid of that thing. Get some color. It kind of makes they all look interesting. I got to clean the fish tanks. I got to clean this place. I got to do a lot of work while doing this. What little time I have left until I get my son back on Thursday. The guy who's so terrible, who's, you know, raised his son two thirds of my son's life, is so terrible that they've, um, the, the accuser of him wants him to keep doing it anyways. So. It's crazy, my life. My life, and your life probably is too. But there's a lot of absurd things in life, and yeah, 